today we're going to get deep and curious with Steve Pullen, MBE, a highly regarded leader, relentless pursuer and wise mentor to many. He is a seventh Dan and holds an MBE for his significant contributions to blind and disabled judo. He was a national coach taking numerous individuals to the Olympics, Paralympics, Europeans and World Championships. Despite being 85, he continues to coach, gets on the mats and leads a team whose primary focus is the integration of disabled and able-bodied judo. In this episode, Steve walks us through his formative years, factors that have contributed to his resilient mindset and describes what being a coach and husband have taught him about himself. He talks about the difficulties of making decisions that go against the expectations of parents and shares how he learned to address his unmet needs. We discuss the extreme ways in which he worked to strengthen his mind and body and explore the thing that still scares him today. I came away from this conversation smiling at his jokes, but most importantly of all, feeling incredibly blessed. Occasionally in life, we encounter truly special beings, and Steve is one of them. I doubt that anyone could talk with Steve and come away unchanged. And so this episode is my way of bottling up a hint of his essence and sharing it with you. Welcome to Authentic Self your companion on the path of self-exploration and expression. If you're tired of wearing masks that hide the real you and leave you feeling disconnected and unfulfilled, then you're in the right place. In each episode, our guests will share their stories, insights and practices, providing you with the inspiration and skills needed to break free and tap into the radiant authenticity that lies within you. Did you have a look at that list of the I values? Did. I did. And did you manage to narrow it down? Not really. <laughs> I'm honest. That's all right. I got, I got busy this week. That's fine. The ones when we spoke that you sort of pointed out, you said it wasn't in the wording that you would use, mm. but there was inner harmony. Mm. I'll go to, to that one word, inner harmony. When you take a team, bro, or you're working in a club, you've got to get the club working together. Now, it's not as simple as that because you've got slow people, fast people, you've got big people, you've got people who are there for a different reason. So you've got to get that ingredient to work together and you've got to get that ingredient so it comes a cake and you've got to work it. But sometimes it doesn't always work like that. You find one of the eggs is bad or it's not going to quite go, the milk going sour. So you've got to gently work it and change it, get that yeah. person to think better. And I get more so if you've got men and women ingredients in. You've got three different ingredients in. And women can create a lot of nightmares. <laughs> without them trying, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because uh, it's also, I've used women, in a, not going to say a bad way, but I've used the women to gel the men. Okay. When you get a nice-looking girl and the men, you can see the eyes like that. I bring the girl in and she will train what have you, and the boys will follow you. Yeah. And it's worked out. Yeah. Any other values that... I have a lot of values, but you just let's find out what they are. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's let's go into them, and then at the end I'll see if I can pick out some of the ones that yeah. sort of come up yeah, in the conversation. Yeah. I'm just editing the episode, and so I thought I would add in some of Steve's core values. So we've got a list of five values, four of which are his, and one which is a red herring. So if you would like, you can listen to the rest of the episode, see if you can figure out which one is the red herring, and then at the end of the episode, we will confirm. So the five are self-mastery, serenity, community, respect, and discipline. So I'd love to know how you get on, and I hope you enjoy the rest of the episode. When you were five, is it, you were severely burned? Yeah. What, how, how did that happen? And what was it like to be five-year-old you? Right. Quite a few of them years have been wiped out of my head. Okay. Can't remember. I just get the odd picture or the odd moment of something, if I've done something where it comes in my head. But most of it's been completely wiped out. And I think it's wiped out with pain because I've been in a lot of pain. How it happened was uh, my home 
had a house a two up, two down. And I would say the, the room that we lived in, the back door was there, and then you had a the door there. You, it was a 12 foot by 12 foot. So you could just go like that. <laughs> and there was five of us, so you just went, you know, and the television was there, the gas door was there, the fire was there. Anyway, Dad built a shed outside so we can go out and cook out there. But the gas stove was there, and my toys were up this, this uh, what do you call it, and sort of in between a chimney breast and what have you, alcohol. That's the word I was looking for. Okay. So I climbed up there, but then I fell backwards and fell on the gas stove. Oh, okay. And the gas was still on and I was still burning. You know. My dad came downstairs. And he wrapped a blanket, well, carpet around me because we didn't have much stuff, and they yeah. just wrapped me around. Yeah. Some of it I remember, some I don't. You know. I remember I was put into a ward at uh, Bagley Hall, it was, and the ward was uh, for the RAF fighters. We were still having wars then. And I remember these men shouting, Get that bloody kid out of the room! Because <laughs> I must have been crying all the time. Oh, okay. Of course, these men are men, and I'm just a little kid crying my eyes out, wanting to go home. <laughs> yeah. That's the way it goes. Yeah. Do you think it has, even though you can't consciously remember much of that, do you think it has changed? Oh, yeah. Changed you in what ways? Maybe it's a fight. I mean, we get on life and, and made me what I am. Yeah. Um, in a way, I was uh, a very timid sort of person. But uh, it made me stand on my two feet, much stronger, you know. And I don't, so I, there's a number of sayings I have for starts of, I don't believe in you can't, and I don't believe in you won't, and you don't believe in that you know it exists. I'm believing yes, can do, yeah, can do it. Yeah. Whether you can't do it, but you have a go. Then you'll find out if you can do it or not. Yeah. And if you only make a small mark towards it, you've done it. And there are two types of people, I've told you about different types of people, there's the wishes and the wasn't. How many people have said to you, I wish I could do what you're doing? Oh, I wish I could do what you're doing. I wish I could do it. Don't bloody wish, do it. Yeah. <laughs> so many people, and people are jealous of your life. Some some people, especially girls, are jealous of the way the way you're living. And they won't take the reason they're jealous is because they won't take that step forward. Because you do make a mark and you do make a mess. And you're no per, a perfect person as it right all the time. I have made mistakes, but it's the mistakes I build on. Yeah. Mistakes don't turn you down. Mistakes you oh, you build on it, and you come stronger then. What else in your like childhood and teenage years have contributed to having the mindset like this and that attitude? Um, well, my brother and my sister. I, I did have a brother and sister that died now. But uh, they didn't get on with me. I was pushed out because I was away so long. When I came back, they didn't, I, they didn't have a brother. They, it's their brother was in hospital. And then this person appears. And he's not my brother. My, my brother's in hospital. It took him a few years for it. You know. And it, we were like that all the time. I wasn't so bad with my sister, but my brother, who was four years younger than me, he wouldn't accept me for years. I wasn't his brother. His brother was in hospital. What did that feel like to... For your own brother not to kind of accept you as... Um, well, it made me very lonely. I had to find some other friends, you know. I got very friendly to cats. I love cats. Cats came my... I got into trouble for my dad. I was always bringing cats home. <laughs> they didn't want to come home, but they came home. <laughs> and um, I made love went, went towards cats and people, you know. And, uh, you know, it was just... just just the way it was. Yeah. So have you tended to prioritise making friends, creating your own support network, yeah. your own mm. kind of community, which yeah. is, I mean, when I look at your life now, that community that you've created seems like a very significant part of your life mm. and probably very rewarding. Um, but communities don't grow by themselves. No, you've no. Worked for years to build that. Um, yeah. Do you still... Do you get most of your support through the kind of judo family? or yeah. 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 Now, my wife doesn't like me doing what I'm doing. She thinks I should stop. 
she's, I would say, not for me, but not against me. You know, she thinks I should stop because I'm too old. You know, but it's what keeps me going. And I don't think I'm old. Age is something that's in people's head. I think when people want to be old, they're old. And you can see them in the streets. They're going old to get a stick and they walk around, you know. Want to be old, and they can't wait till they get to the doctor to get a doctor note to say you got something wrong with them. You know, they just get out of it. Because yeah. people can be sick and can be ill if they want to be, or another one, get out and do it. Every time I go to hospital, I always ask them, well, "What have I got to do to get out of here?" And they say, oh, "Okay, yeah, and I do it and get out." Yeah. Anything else in your childhood that is kind of led you on, on the path that you've taken or impacted kind of your mindset or your behaviours in life? Well, I, when I was at school, they, they gave me a lot of drugs, so I, I went very big. Drugs big. for what? Well, I, was, I think to protect my life, I think. You know, I mean, I was very, I was built like a lat. Do you know what a lat is? No. It's these thin bits of wood that hangs in your old up your roof. You know, okay. Very thin, very thin. I was like that, very thin boy. Uh, but when I came out of hospital, I was big. At the age of, I'd say, I think I was about 12, I was touching 15, 16 stone. And uh, I was, you know. So then I became friends of all the little kids because I would take them from the bullies. Because you always get bullied in schools. So I, all the little kids used to hang around me and I used to knock hell out of the big bullies, you know, I used to take on two, three times and beat them up. <laughs> Why did you do that? I don't know. I think it's because uh, I didn't like seeing people being hurt, you know. Mm. Just don't, just, uh, I'm, I've always been the same when I see people being... You know, I've got a police, number of police records for saving the police, <laughs> jumping in. <laughs> And, uh, you know, and uh, when I was on the doors, I did the same thing. I just, just got, you know. It, it, it made me, why I fought, I don't really know. But my father used to take me in the yard with my brother and we used to have to wrestle whether I liked it or not. And of course, I was very worried about my scars on my body because when I was at school, we used to go swimming. I never forget this swimming coach threw me out because he thought I got a diseased body. So he said, get out and don't come back. So I told my dad and my dad went down there. And so uh, but, well, there's still that, you know, feeling, uh, you know, he didn't like me like. And uh, I was very worried about sure. So I, wrestling wasn't my scene at the time because you had to strip off a lot. So judo came along and judo suited me, which so, judo was only wrestling. Only you got jackets on. And I felt comfortable having a kit on and covered up. And so that's the way I went and upset my dad because he wanted a wrestler. But my brother was a wrestler, so, he, you know, but, you know. And also my dad didn't like it because he was, he was from the war, you see, Japanese. And I didn't, our men didn't like it, no. Because in them days, men really were fighting the Jap. You know? Yeah, I love the Japanese. Been to Japan many times. And one of the things I try and work out, why were the Japanese so cruel? And yet when you go to Japan, they're so friendly. I mean, you stand at the railway station, you're looking at the map, you try and work it out in Japanese word or whatever it is, and you look at a voice coming out, are you lost? I'll take you, you? to get all of your hand, take you down to the station, get on the train and put you off of the station, and then go home. They go back on their own train. And it didn't happen once, but it happened a number of times. The Japanese are very friendly. And I thought, why were they so cruel? What was it, you know, drove them to that top pitch? Because I love Japanese way of life. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. It really is. There's kind of a couple of things there that I'd love to go into. So there's what the swimming teacher, lifeguard, said about your body and how that influenced your actions then not wanting to... Yeah. have a lot of your skin on show um that judgment that was made on you clearly impacted you but mm. I know from speaking to you previously that you've said that other people's opinions don't tend to influence you yeah. so was there a time when that changed or 
what what's kind of happened because between you now being very certain of yourself and not affected by other people's opinions criticisms judgments but pre- obviously when you were a lot younger and that comment was made yeah. that did affect you yeah yeah where it changed I think it changed when I was about 13, 14 and the girls and boys were going out and I found out the girls didn't want me because I was so big and not movable, you know, and I wasn't doing where the young boys were doing daft things, you know, and I, I mean, I couldn't even climb a bloody wall. But what changed me is when uh, one of the men, when I was at the YMCA, got hold of me and he says, look, this is what you need to do. And we was running round at the YM and, yeah, and I said, oh, I can do this. When I was at school, they didn't say, right, just have a walk around the field or something. You know, they didn't push me, they didn't, do, didn't put me in any sort of chair. And I lost pounds very quickly. I lost a lot, a lot of weight. And, and uh, I went into the weights and what have you. And I had a room like this, <laughs> full of weights. Yes, yeah. So just for context, if anyone's listening, <laughs> this room is that we're in is half of a podcast studio and half a half gym. home gym <laughs> with a lot of heavy weights that are my partner's, not mine. I can't lift them. Um, so, yeah. Um, and the other thing is when you were younger, your father made it mandatory, as you've just said, for you to wrestle with your brother. Yeah. Um, but you didn't follow in his footsteps no. to become a wrestler. So how did you... I imagine there were expectations for you to do wrestling over judo, especially if he held beliefs around judo because of its Japanese mm. origins. Um, how did you manage though his expectations but still follow what you knew was right for you to go into judo? I think it was a period that we, where I was going to judo, supporting me. Okay. Judo has got that, well, it's, it's got that support itself, the sport itself, got really good support. And I, and I pre- preach that in my judo club where we help. There is no such thing as a bad person. There's no such thing as a disoriented person, all these names you're going to, all you need is assistance and help being shown and shown. And I find a lot of people uh, can do it if they get the help. And what the two things they find that they're not as fit as they think they are, and fitness is something you can't see. You just can't see it, but you know you've got it. You know you can do it. So how now do you prioritise and promote support in your judo club so that it's there for people like you when you were younger? I always put them in with other people who are a bit higher in fitness and skill, so they've got somebody to look up against. And I always put them with people that this person will, uh, will shine to that person because you can do it. And it's important. And it's, it's important that you, you come along. And when you're good, you have a magic. There's a magic around you, it just surrounds you. When you're fit, you have that whore around you. You can't, you can't describe it, but it's there. It really is there, you know. And what men, men, I never say that because women are getting it today. When, see, when I was a younger lad, women weren't taking part in sport. I find I was, I was ruthless to women when I was in judo. Because most of the women come down, they just wanted to rub up against men, and men did want rub up, and I get rid of them. I went to judo and get you know, rubbing up. You can do outside, but not in my club. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's, 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 and when people see that they are improving, and they're not as bad as they are, and it's lovely to see when they start learning skills and doing it. You know, you, especially when you put them in a competition, a low-grade competition, you put the fight in the self same size and grade and height, and they win. Oh, it's magic. It's magic to see the star and their eyes light up. And they want to fight the world. <laughs> <laughs> Have there been any decisions that you've made in your life other than to go into judo rather than to continue with judo rather than wrestling that 
have been challenged because of other people's expectations, social conditioning, financial security needs, anything like that? No. 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 Everything I've done, I've worked it out in my head that I'm going to end up doing that. Um... How do you know what's the right decision for you? When you feel it in your bones and in your head that it's right, and if you fail, you know you're still right, but you fail because of another reason you failed, not because you were not good, and you know it, you know. And it's like, it's like when you want to go out with a girl and you know you're just not quite right there, but then you change and then you get the girl. And it's the same sport. You want to be I wanted to be the best. I wanted to be good, and I trained and trained and trained and trained and got there. Yeah. And uh, as my old coach used to say, if you put the work in, you'll get it. Have there ever? Have you ever not been able to feel it in your bones? Not been so connected to yourself that you were able to kind of hear what your body was telling you, or have you always kind of maintained that connection with your kind of inner? guide as, as such I went to the palace 12 times and on the ninth time I thought to myself I'm going to talk to the queen and I put myself and put myself around her and I and there's a 20 minute talk with her and we talked about Harry and drugs because he was just having drug problems and I was there for 20 minutes and she we you know had a good conversation but I deliberately in my head, I went out for that. You know, I, I thought, I didn't know what I was going to talk about, mind you. She picked the subject, but I just wanted to make sure I had a talk to her. And we had a good conversation. And I went out for it, and it did. And it was the same when I wanted to do something. I went, I'd go out for it. I work different ways of getting it done. And when I want something, I will go for it. And if I lose it, I lose it. But then I'll try again in a different tack and I'll try again in a different tack until I get what I wanted you know yeah. and, there's, and that's what I do yeah say someone at your judo club who's late teens young adult and they are feeling very lost they've kind of mm. as most people do spent their school years conforming to what's popular what's trendy yeah. Um, conforming to those social norms and then you sort of come out of that and you don't know who you are you've lost like I was just mm. saying when I asked you that question then you've lost the connection with your gut feeling with yeah. with your kind of inner knowing what would you say to them what would you advise them how would you go about that if if someone was like I get that quite regular uh, boys especially men okay especially men who uh me married a couple of years. Just got a kid in the, on on the scene. You can see that his life's slipping by because he's going to want money and he has to go to work and he can't do what he wants to do. And you can see that his youth is just going through that window, but he don't want to lose it and he wants to do something. So I get a lot of that people. So what I have to do is rekindle that spirit. And I've got to find out what he really wants. Be anything. What makes that magic? And it takes a time to find out. And your way to do it is to talk to them and get on to that magic. Yeah. It is a magic, you know. There is a, it's a very good magic button there. And a lot of people can't see it. I do see it. So I can see it. I can talk about you. And I bet half a dozen times I'll hit the same button, you know. And I'll hit buttons that you don't want to talk about. I can... I have it in me. I don't know what it's about. I have no idea why I've got it, but I just know. And I think what it is, is life doesn't change. we all got the same problems. We've got to eat, we've got to drink, we've got to sleep. We need partners, we need a house, we need this, we need money. We all want them, but in a different way of doing it. So what we're doing is nothing, nothing new. It's just that, finding a way to do it. And people... More so when they start going down the wrong road. I mean, I've got four or five lads now 
who are, who are very, very good, and they're just on the tip of going to prison, if not careful. I've got to try and drag them back and show them that the real world is good. And going to prison was wasting your life, you know. And if you've been to prison, that's not the end of the story. You just recruit, get that back, get your feeling back, get your, get your life back, get your body back, get, your, get yourself into something. Whatever it is, get it into it, you know, get your body doing it. And so what happens when, say, you've spoken to someone that you've found and they found what it is that will ignite that, that spark inside mm. of them? What happens from there? Do they go start doing that thing? Where, where does it go? Right now, I've got three lads like that. Real lads. And what I'm saying because uh, you get to know, you know them very well, in a sense. And one, he's been in prison. He's come out. The police have got hold of him again. You know, he's on a, what you call, um, I forget what you call it when you get, when you, you know. Probation? That's the word I'm looking for. That's one. I've got another one who, who's not in the, with the police, but he's going to end up in the police if he continues what he's doing. You see, when you want money and you find a way of doing this, whatever you want to do, and you're making money and you're doing it illegally, it's very hard to stop. Because you know it's wrong, they know it's wrong, and you're waiting for the police to come and pick you up. But the amount of money you're making, you won't continue with it. It's very hard for them to stop. And it's difficult. Difficult because the money you're getting gives you a better lifestyle. And you can't see you breaking the law. You can just see money coming in. And it's usually selling drugs. Because to get an 18, 19-year-old boy, you can make a £1,000 a night selling drugs. Very difficult to give that up. That's the reason why the violence is going up. Because if you're getting a thousand pound a night coming in and somebody along comes along and tries to stop you, you'll fight harder. And you do, this is why violence is going more violent. Because you're not dealing with a five bab job, you're dealing with a thousand pound job. A lot of money. You can make a lot of money out of it. So that's why violence has come up. And easier life also comes up. And you think to yourself, why do I want to go get up in the morning and work for fourteen pound a week? You know, when you can earn say a thousand a night, and that's that's the difference for people. And you've got to understand it. What they're doing is wrong, so you've got to stop them doing it. Because the difference between right and wrong is very difficult to to move. You know, to see why it's wrong. You can't see. I mean, just selling powder. You just get money. But they don't see the consequences of selling powder and where that life that life goes and how bad it is. And it's the same when the girls walk the streets. They don't understand the actual consequences. What they're doing to themselves is actually later on in life they'll suffer for it. So you've actually got to get that sorted out and you know and get the person to to show them what is right and what is wrong. It's difficult, difficult. Yeah. But you gotta believe in yourself. You gotta believe in yourself. You gotta be strong. You gotta be really strong. And it's so easy to go back. But once you go back, it's hard to come off it again, you know. Yeah. In a, another podcast that you've done, you mentioned I think three I think they were coaches or teachers that you've had. Yeah, three men. That yeah. were really influential mm. in the development of you as a person, what did each of them teach you and why or why did it matter more to you what they said compared to the, the other coaches that you will have had? Right. I think the three people I was talking about was Roy Anton, Joe Foster and Nakanori Osaka. I think them three because I've got two other people in my head as well. Osaka was Japanese and he, he had a bad trait. He loved gambling. He was a, you know, and he was my coach and he taught me some terrific judo. I was with him for a few years. But the beginning of him, I didn't know he was a gambler. I, you know, I didn't know he was that bad. You know, He was a good gambler, by the way. 
and you come along and say, uh, Steve, take class nine. And I thought, oh, it's going great, I'm taking over from Mackie. Well, what he was, he was going down to play poker. And it took me a while to get that work out why he was going down there. And when you, when you think about that, he's playing for a hundred thousand pound. Well, in judo, you make about 50 quid. <laughs> so do a hundred thousand or 50 pounds, you know what I mean? That's if you're lucky. He was good. And then Roy, Roy and I worked on the doors for a number of years. And Roy, I, I, I was a fighter, but I didn't know how to do the job. It's an art of doing being a door. It's not a question of fighting, it's a question of art of learning when to do it, when not to do it, and how to angle people, you know, and learn learn the methods and talk. You talk all night if you want, but he taught me a lot of skills, you know. And then Joe Foster was an older man. You got me fit, really oh, drove me to the to the thing. I mean, I went down from I think it was sixteen and a half stone down to eleven stone. And as I say, I ran a marathon in three hours ten through Joe, just doing miles and miles of ring, taking me places up hills. There's no such thing as I can't get up there, get up there, you know. And then he would jump on my back, and he said, "Right off we go," and I have to carry him all the way up to the hill. Back. We couldn't drop him because he was an old man, you know. And these things stuck in my mind, you know. And then when I left that sort of thing, I mean, Joe, Joe trained me in the morning, but Joe used to then, used to then send me to a judo club. And all these people had been on the booze that Saturday night and they took it out of bed. I'd just done miles of running and starving. I was hungry. And the only thing I had that morning was a cup of tea. And Joe gave me orders. I had to practice with him, with him and with him and try and throw more. And that's what it was. that was my Sunday morning. Get out of there and do it. And it made me work, do things. And each person, each one of them, give me things that I had to do in life and be strong about it, you know. I mean, one of, one of the things that I did, and me and McConnell did that, and Roy did it as well, was don't go to bed. Still train. Do exactly what you're doing normally. You train in the morning, you do in the afternoon, you train at night time, then you stay up and you train in the morning, you do that, you do that, and then the next day you do that. And by the third day, fourth day, you don't know where you're coming and going. But it means you're strong. You start finding yourself. You start having things in your head. And you know, you're so tired and yet you was pushed. And believe it or not, you cry. You actually cry, and you broke yourself. But by breaking yourself, when you come together again, the pot is stronger. The gaps have come stronger. The gaps have come much more stronger than you ever believed of, and you get stronger and stronger. And you've done it a couple of times. You get really stronger. You find that you people dogs are you. Yeah. <laughs> you can't. You can't it's very difficult to break you then. You've already broken yourself. Broke myself, yeah. Found how weak I was. I broke myself through me doing what I was told to do. Why did it? Don't ask me. I don't know why I did it. <laughs> don't ask me them questions. If you did that today, you, the coach would be done. You know, be called GBH or whatever you call it. But I did it because I wanted to do it. I wanted to see it. I, I mean, I did a lot of things to myself. I went potholing, and I went potholing to see just how much fear I can have when you're down there and you can't get out. You're 200 feet, 400 feet down from mine or something like that, and you've got to go through a sump and you've got to go down and you, and you can't just get out. How do you teach your students the same lessons without getting them to stay up? Softer, a softer way of doing it. Yeah. I mean, now I just do it myself. I say, does anybody want to get strangled out? I know. Put them out. Like and when it, actually, when one person gets out, they all go. <laughs> no one else wants to follow. Yeah. <laughs> what does that teach you, though? First of all, you know what it's like to be strangled. Two, there is no magic in it. 
you learn how to stop being strangled. You take your time, move out of it, become stronger. And three, you learn how to do it. And there's a difference between a strangle and a choke. A choke is where you take the oxygen away from the throat and you get A strangle you don't know is on. Straight out. Just pull them out nicely. And you think they've been out for ages. They've only been out 20, 30 seconds. And you know what you do when you to bring them round, don't you? When you lie them down on the floor, you go through the pockets, see how much money they've got, and then you bring them round. <laughs> That's not re recommended. <laughs> no, you don't do that last part. <laughs> see, you've got to be sitting, have a laugh when you're playing seriousness. You've, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, the class laughs, you know. It's called Katsu in Japan. How has your approach to judo and understanding of it evolved over time as you've evolved as a person? Well, the judo world itself has been changed a number of times itself. They've taken out a lot of big throws, strong throws, which there were injuries with them, but they stopped them. Well, I mean, when I was in doing judo in the 60s, there were about 60, 68, 69 throws. We're down now to 49 because some of these throws were dangerous. People did get injured. So the, the judo world stopped it because the reason why they stopped it because it's an Olympic sport and what people don't want to see is people getting injured. So they've taken that softness out. It's the same as... You used to be able to get strangled. And you said, when you go around, you fought next day. If you get strangled, you're not allowed to fight for three months. If you did arm locks and you break somebody's arm by accident, you were banned for three months because you have to be more careful. So this, this sport itself is a lot softer and they've lost a lot of rough and readiness. This is why Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu overtaken us because there's no rules and on one man ban shows they just get on with it you know and they do get a lot of injuries but they don't don't mention it you know but it will come like somebody will get sued or do damage you know things like that and just get on with it you know how is your approach to change tr sorry how has your approach to training changed now that you've become a coach hmm Uh, it hasn't. I'm more ruthless now because I want the, the boys are softer, so I have to get much more tougher. You see, most people were working in factories in them days, and you were swinging sledgehammers, picking up big steels. You didn't have, you know, humping and shoving, and you was rough and ready engineering. So <clears throat> people worked harder. Today they don't work hard. Typing. Yeah, computers and, you know, that's too heavy. Get it bloody moved. You, you know, you've got to, got to get the mindset that you can do it. And it's the same with judo, you've got to do it. I find women are much more better to coach than men. Women? Mm. Women are much more easier to coach than men. Why do you think that is? Because women have had nothing. They've not had much. They've not had much of a chance to get on in life. They've not had a chance to get on to do things. They've not had a chance to push themselves. And when they do get the chance, <clears throat> and when they do get a coach, you can't get rid of them. Like a rash on you, you can't get rid of it. Yeah, they thrive and they want to continue that. Right. You get a taste of it, and you want more. They do get a taste of it, and they want more. What has being a coach taught you about yourself, though? Mm. Good question. You see, at one time, work was a discipline. Because if you had to be in for 8 o'clock and you didn't leave to 5 o'clock and you got into trouble if you tapped out earlier, you know, now people just go to work, you know, and they don't get into trouble, you can always put it down to a bus. When, when I was working, if you was a quarter of an hour late, you got stopped half an hour pay. But if you was half an hour late, you sent home for the money. You can't do that today, you know. 
So you have a different mindset to, to work and what have you, and much harder, you know. And being an apprentice, I had to work harder. My toolbox as an apprentice was a sack, and the tools that I was carrying were massive because it was a steam engine. I had a sledgehammer, I had normal hammers, I had spanners weighing about 20, 30 pounds, and I had to carry them on my back and go down, down the road and what have you. And, you know, and that was in the snow. You just got on with it, you know. So you had to different, different, we had a different mindset to, to life then, though, is today. I mean, you say to a kid, move that for us. No. <laughs> no. Well, one time, they would have done. They have a different way of moving things now, you know. So you have to change the culture, have a different way of telling people how to do it and telling them how to get it done. Because otherwise they won't be receptive. Yeah. yeah. You've got to change. I, my coaching methods, and I ask them to do really daft things, and they do it. Like I say, right, we do these stairs, we do 20 times, you know, where I want 20! Let's <laughs> <laughs> just do 20 for me now. You know, yeah. or 30, you know, or carry that person up and don't stop and they just get out with it because they believe in me and they believe in that what I'm doing to them will improve them because you, the only way to knowing that you're improving is to go into a competition and win it or do very good at it. And you think, yeah, that training's been working. Yeah, it's good, I'll do it. So that's what I have to do. I, my my tests are when I put them into competitions and see how far they can get. And that's the only way to do it. Because when a woman meets a man and he's rough, you lose confidence in men or vice versa, you know. And uh, she was really battered, you know what I mean? Now she's coming alive. I'm teaching her that we can do things. Life is good. Life is kind of, you don't have to hide around the corner when somebody walks in the room. You know, and you stand your ground, you know. Yeah. So you have to learn all these. I had to, I had to get to know that person, and ask questions non-stop. I asked you a question: What's the worst thing you've ever done? And it's just questions and answers. These, these are answers I get back, and I know what I'm dealing with, and you're dealing with people, your life is not easy. And nobody's had an easy life, unless you're the Queen. And even they don't have an easy life, they have to stand up in their attention and listen to the country. But you've got to, you've got to know your person, your teaching. You can't just go blindly into it, you've got to get to know them. You've got to know what, what lifestyle they have, what they don't like, are they beating up at all. Because you can get abused at home without knowing you're being abused. Especially girls. Girls must have a much harder time, you know. And I, I see girls, I have a lot of girls, where it takes me a long time to break that door down so she'll talk to me. I don't really want to get too deep because I don't want to open the, sh open the door where it frightens her all the time. But I want her to feel relaxed with me. I want her to feel that she can do what she wants not going to get beaten and what I'm doing is good and what I'm teaching her is good and she get better I mean Ellie not Ellie shocking her names Abby she's had a regime from me and she's been with me and she's bloody running well she's getting stronger she's getting fitter she's won two three fights and she's you know she wants she's going fighting again in two months time and she's can't wait to, you know. You've been married 50 years now yeah. to your wife. What has that long-term relationship taught you about yourself and dealing with difficult situations where you can't use fighting as if a response? If I wasn't married to my wife, I'd probably be in prison. Would have been inside. Because I was uh, a headbanger anyway. And if I didn't have a girl like Margaret, I would have been gone. Might have been dead now. <laughs> because she does look after me. Do you know my wife washes my feet every night? Because I go on the mat every night. And every night she washes my feet. Because she is a judo girl herself. I met her in judo. So a lot of the 
she understands from judo herself and what have you. So we have this rapport between us, we know. And we argue, argue. we do that. <laughs> we do argue, we argue, we have some right arguments, you know. But that's life. You've got to air the problem. You've got to have a shelf. You've got to have a, yeah, <laughs> you know, and you, you just, that's the way life is, you know. But you always go back to it. You always go, if you don't go back to it, that means she's not the right woman or he's not the right man. You've got to find that breakage and then repair it. How did you know she was the right one? I don't know. That's a pretty good question. Right. I think the best thing to do is that uh, we did split up for about two days. <laughs> I couldn't go with it. <laughs> I realised then she was the one I wanted. That's the one I persuaded. Vice versa. And we've had some bad times, we've had some great times, you know. I mean, we did have a son and he died. That brought us closer together, you know. And then the son I've got now, he's been very, he's very asthmatic, you know, and he's been back and forward to the hospitals, you know. And I, and I back him, you know, he keeps on going, he's a good lad. He makes games and what have you. But he always makes bad decisions, you know. He doesn't make good decisions. It's just the way it is, you know. But he is a more mummy's boy than he is. He's more closer to his mum than he is. Now, my, my daughter's more close to me than to her mother, you know. And she's a, she has a little girl now. She's got grand, made as a granddaughter, you know. That's changed, that's changed my wife. I'm the granddaughter has changed my wife drastically, which is better for me, a lot better for me. Because yeah. she's, she's a worrier, my wife. All the time, worrying, 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 worrying. How has having a family changed you? Uh, it made me that I realised I had to stand the ground. I've got a family to look after, put food on the table and look after them in many ways and make sure the bills are paid. And I always chase money. Always. I don't refuse money. I always chase it. Because the money I get... I never owed. My daughter gets it, my son gets it. Even now, they get money off me. My granddaughter gets it. And, um, yeah, so yeah, and it used to be my mum, but my mum died, so she don't get any money now. Yeah. So I'll share it out, the money's I get. I, I'm a, I don't spend money on myself. Yeah, it's for your family. It's for my family. And the money I do get is always into the family, you know. How did losing your son well, oh, how did me. you deal with that? Yeah. It how did it both affect things. you? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, when it was, he was born with lacking some um some glands, he didn't have any glands to protect him from diseases. And it was Margaret, my wife said he's not well. And we were going back to back to Duchess of York back again and kept us throwing his out, throwing his out, and there's nothing wrong with him. In market, said he's not well, he's ill. And after you know, about six weeks, they turned around and said he's very ill, you know, because then the diseases of that, that body that should fight it didn't, and he, he died then, you know. Destroyed Margaret, she never been the same. She can't stand, you know, she just can't, you know, she has tears now and then, you know, with him, you know. And she sent all her life now looking after the other son. And of course, he's not very well, he's asthmatic and he does have problems with it. And he can never do anything wrong in front of Margaret, you know. So I have to take that on the chin and let him do things, <laughs> you know. And my daughter is now totally different. She's, she feels out she's locked out and I, I have to put my love into her to show that she's not locked out. It's just the way things have gone. And... She's now gone into loving the granddaughter, and she, you know, so we we have changing. Different people have come into our lives. Son's gone away. Granddaughters come in. You know, things like that. You know. Yeah. How old was your son when you lost him? My son died about five, uh, no, eight weeks. When he died. Okay. So for eight weeks we had us back and forwards, in you know, and 
It took a long time for Margaret to overcome it. Because death is one of the things that's final. And that's why young people out there, when they're fighting, don't understand that. They're still believing you can touch them when they come back to life. You see them on the films, you know, and they don't really see death. They just see what the films want to show you, you know. They don't see that. That's it. But in real world, death is final. Mm. Can't stop it. What are your thoughts about death? Well, my thoughts, I have a very strange thing. I'm going to die, but I don't want to die. And I'm making sure that I want to really have a good time, and I do. If you're enjoying this episode or learning anything from it, I'd be really grateful if you could pause, take a screenshot and share it on social media. Your support means a lot and will enable us to continue. Thank you. I think I have a great life. And I'm going to make sure I still have a better life. And uh, there's no... Oh, I'm old now, that's it. I'm old and it's not it. I want to do more. I want to do more things. Get on with it. I want to do more things. Conquer things, you know. I mean, when I was down, uh, when I was good, I went down to uh, Aldershot regular once a month and we used to teach the Paris training self-defence. And uh, I was giving them a right tank in the young lads, you know, and the sergeant said to me, do you want to jump out of a plane? I said, bloody two trip, I'll have a go at that. He said, well, come up next month and we'll I'll get it sorted out for you. So I get there that month. I get there Friday night. He says, uh, before you can jump out of the plane, you've got to jump out of the balloon. So I said, yeah, all right, yeah, that's no problem. So I get kitted up and get this balloon there, you know. And I start thinking, mm, mm. I'm going up, and I'm going up higher, and it creaks, the wind blows it, oh, you know, it's creaking away, you know, and you're going, nah, <laughs> nah. Did you do it? I'll tell you in a minute. So, <laughs> I'm go, so I'm going up, I'm going up, and of course it gets to 500 feet, it's got to get to 800 feet because that's when the balloon uh, opens, so I'm going like that. But in the meantime, the sergeant's saying to us, oh, numbers, and you have to count. One, two, three, four, five, six. Every so often we have to shout, now is number three. Mm-hmm. Numbers, get ready now, stand up, lads. Right, numbers, one, two, bang. <laughs> I was kicked out. <laughs> I kicked right out. And then we got down at the bottom and he said, you weren't going to go, were you? <laughs> I said, you're right, I did voices all the time. And you look, you know that uh, if the way my body was moving, the way the ship told me I wasn't going to go. I didn't have the uh, opportunity. Now, when you get into the plane, you don't have that because you're in a circle. You link in, you just go, jump out. It's easier to jump out of a plane than it is a balloon. You know, it was, it was, he knew that in my mind, I was, and I wasn't. It was only when I got kicked out. Then I went... <laughs> Is there anything that still scares you today? Yeah, death. <laughs> yeah. Can't stop it. I mean, I lost my brother and my sister all within two days of each other. My, sister, my brother died on a Thursday, my sister died on a Sunday. My sister is eight years older than my brother, and my brother's four years older than me. You know, it was only four, four years, but I couldn't believe it. Just and what made it worse was my brother lived in Bloody Wick and my sister lived in Stockport area. I was going back and forward, you know. And it realises that's, that's what life's about. Hmm. Is it the sense that it's something that's outside of your control? Hmm. Yeah. You have no control over death. And the other thing is this, the system takes it all away from you. And a good job it is because people will never get buried. Because some people get so adapted to their family they won't let them go. Where the funeral people could have it, remove it from you, the church removes it from you, and you become a, a distanced person. You know? And in a way I'm glad, because as I say, people will never allow you, you know, they get to the point where the body will never move. You'll just stay there, you know? So when you do, when you do that, and you know, milking in your eyes, you've had some death rounds, haven't you? 
do you know what I um I actually haven't it's something that I've been very lucky mm-hmm. with I've lost my granddad yeah but for to be my age and to have only lost one relative it's that yeah compared to most people my age Doing very well in that sense. Now, when would you, when your granddad go? That was twenty twenty, so that was three years ago. In COVID. Yeah. 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 It wasn't because of COVID, but no, yeah. it didn't help. No, it doesn't help. So, yeah. You see, death, it still puts the pain there. It's two. It's this and this. And these are the two parts when I'm training that I've got to get. Working together, now I can't get him stronger. Not this. Yeah. We all have that. It's this and this. And just for anyone that can't see, you're pointing to your head and your heart. And then, rather than muscle. You're not training the muscle, you're training the head and the heart. Heart. And and that controls the muscle. Yeah. Yeah. See, when I was talking about death, I could see little tears coming into your eyes, a little glaze coming (laughs) over. That's me being a coach, you see. Seeing people and how what re- reflects on you, you know. And I told you before, there's two of you and there's two of me. It's the person I can see, but there's a person I can't see, but I'm, you're listening to me and you're talking to yourself about me. And that's the inner person. And that inner person is one I need to train or get hold of. Yeah. Get it moving. Not the outer person. No, anybody. The shell, the shell's not very good. It's a show that lets you down. But it's that inner man that drives up. That's what gets you going. Look at you. See how positive you are doing this. You do it. You want to do it. You want to achieve on it. And you will do it. You know why? Because you're putting everything into it. And you will have sometimes bad spots. And you will have times thinking, I should have not done this. But you at least you've done it. You, you see, it doesn't... There's so many people always wish, oh, I wish I did that. Oh, now you've done it. And if you fail, you fail. Because you, but you can't say you failed on it. You failed because something, things change it. But you've done it. And you never know what the offshoot is. Where you yeah. might go here or you might go there. You never know if you get picked up on the television. You never know if the BBC listens to it. And you've got to do it, you know, all the time. And if you don't do anything, you never get anywhere. Even, this is, I'm very early on in, in the process of doing this, but mm. even so far, just the people that I've met through doing it is wonderful. And, and the best, I mean, my favourite bit is what we're doing right now, just mm. sitting, having these conversations. Yeah. Getting open up people. Opening up, connecting, mm. and that's just the most rewarding thing. And Do you find that getting, getting to get open up people hard? Or do you find people don't tell you the truth? I don't think people don't tell you the truth. I think sometimes it's difficult if people haven't thought about the type of thing that I'm asking about because I know for me it's very difficult to think about something that and verbalise it to someone else if mm-hmm. I haven't previously thought about it yeah. and kind of sat and considered it by myself. So I think sometimes it is difficult if you're asking someone something that they haven't thought about previously because maybe there just isn't that time for those thoughts to kind of develop yeah. and mature yeah. and, and for them to have a kind of answer. Um, so I think that can be difficult. And I think, you know, talking about values, like we started with trying to, get people to narrow down their their really core values is so yeah. difficult and because it's I mean I I struggle to do it but it's just not something that we tend to do obviously a lot of values are important to us but I think I really like to have an understanding of what the ones are that are the really primary ones that really dictate people's decisions especially when you have like we were talking about the gut feeling but you're still doubting yourself a bit but I think when you know what your values are you can take 
you can use those to give you a bit of kind of logical support as well so that you're making a decision that you feel you've got the gut feeling for but you've also got a bit of long logic and intu- um yeah. intellect that's supporting you in making that decision and I, and I think that can help but um yeah I don't I don't know I think it's some I don't want to say getting people to open up, but I guess supporting people and opening up to an extent that they're happy to is something that I'm going to work on throughout this whole It'll take time. Thing. You've got to learn the techniques yeah. of development. You've got to learn to answer the, the, the right question. Yeah. And some questions, they, they just close down on you because you've hit a very, very sore point or a very hurtful point. They don't want to tell you that. So the switch off somewhere else, you know. Yeah. I mean, I'll give you a good story with one of my lads. It's like called Steve Raymond's Croffin. The other lad was called Kevin Kinney. I've had him since they were about nine. In the 50s now. And uh, the dads used to come with me to the judo club with the kids, you know, and Steve and Kevin were getting to the age of 16, 17, 18, and they were drinking and they were fit and they were winning. And Steve won the British Championships five times. That's five years, winning, 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 you know. And uh, Steve blew his education. Kevin blew his education but went into an apprenticeship of um, Sparks, electrician. And Kevin got married a couple of times. Steve had a couple of times. And fell out with his other wife and couple of kids somewhere else and Kevin was the same well, yeah. anyway I'm working at Chesham School of Music and I'm short staff so uh, I said to Steve uh, are you working these days Steve no he says I'm, I'm doing a tough job he says, I said what are you doing he says I'm putting fat into battles making lard butter so I said well I'm, I'm short staff do what I do because I knew he was fit and I knew he, was do- he loved training you know what I mean and uh, he says what is it I said, well, I want you to come in in school and teach the kids some physical education and fitness-wise. I said, would you fancy it? He said, well, what are you paying? I said, well, I'm paying £20 an hour. He said, Christ, I'm only on £14 a day. <laughs> I said, oh. Do you know He said, yeah. He said, I love that. Anyway, I got him in. And after a year, he comes to me and says, how do you become a teacher? I said, well, you start off with your O-levels, then your A-levels, and then you get a degree and what have you. And that's what he did. Wow. He had a family, and during the school holidays, and he did the set exams at school, and he, he got his O-levels, then his A-levels. He's, he's now uh, got a, a, a degree behind his name. How old was he when he did those? He was in uh, his early 30s. Yeah. He had nothing. Now he's one of the most... Right, man, you know, really is, you know. And I said to Steve, see, I told you you've got it in your head. Now, Kevin could have done it, but he was too busy because he was an electrician and he had a good job and he got a good pension. He had not many years to go, so he, 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 he would come out of his electrical work. But Steve had nothing, only judo. And he built on that judo, you know, and it was great. And he got on. And they still teach you, you know. So there is no such thing as time, you know. And I believe in people. I've had a few people like that have gone down the education route because the education route is a bad route. If you not, if you don't fall in line with it, you, you can't get out of it. You know, you just can't bypass it. But in a way, Steve did it. He did. He just went down their road, you know. Kind of. If someone doesn't believe in themselves, what would you say to them? Well, first of all, get him to believe in himself. Find out what he wants to believe in. Find out what he what 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 is it the holding him back? Is he holding back because he's at an hard time? Is he holding back because he fell out with a girlfriend? Is he holding back because he was married but not married? Is he holding back because he has no money? You've got to find out what 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 is holding him back. And believe it or not, a lot of things are holding back are so simple to get out of. You know. I mean, when Steve started earning money, he realised, you know, pretty hell, you know, I mean, they're okay, you know. And he, he's on a good pension, you know, he's a good money. Yeah. And just one last question. You said before that your fear, that 
the thing you're still scared of is death. How does that fear influence the way, the way that you live every day? Well, I get up in the morning, I go like this. <laughs> no coughing, <laughs> so I get out of bed. Yeah. You can't stop it. No. Just get on with it. And I've got judo tonight. Uh, what day is it tonight? Tuesday? No, Monday. So I've got the universities. I have about 40 to 50 young 18, 19, 20 year old boys and girls. And their youth, I suck it all out of them. It makes me feel young. You suck their youth out of them. <laughs> what are they left with? Nothing. <laughs> I could really get, get a lot of out of them. Yeah. Great. And it's great talking to them because I learn new things all the time. Yeah. New words. New, <laughs> new, new, new computer, you know, my phone and things like that. Well, you work this bloody thing out, you know, aren't you? you know, I learn yeah. new things all the time. Yeah. Oh, good. Well, have you finished with me now? Yeah, I have. You sure? Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you very much for listening to the episode. And if you are still here and wondering which was the red herring, the red herring value was serenity. So thank you very much. I mean, you send me a recording of it? I will, yes. Because I forgot what I talked about. That's fine, yeah. If you want another one, by all means, come see me again. Thank you. Not a problem. And you, um, if people that listen to this want to find you online, <laughs> you have Instagram and Twitter? I won't know what I've got. <laughs> well, I don't know what I've got. I know I'm on something. Okay. I think you're something like, Pullen MBE. Yeah. Something like that. But I will find them and I'll put links in them so right. that people can find you. Um, but yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, I've enjoyed it. And um, yeah, it's been I know, lovely. I found it very quickly done this morning. Yeah. And the reason why it's done very quickly, I've enjoyed it. Good. I'm glad. Because when it's boring, if you've ever been to the pictures and you've got a boring film and you can't. <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm glad I haven't bored you. You haven't bored me once. Good. Yeah. Lovely. Thank you.